1: To get started, visit plushcare.com dot slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to it's all kicking off a What Culture Football podcast. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture joined by Adam Cleary from What Culture to discuss a burning football issue. But before we get into this if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Football wherever you get your podcasts from for daily football podcasts. But Adam Cleary, we are gathered here today to talk about the ongoing Newcastle United takeover and whether or not Adam Cleary, it's finally happening.
2: Yeah, I mean, in this, the season that will never end, it's nice to know that Newcastle still have the narrative that will never end because this has been going on since January, since February. And with every new revelation, with every claim that it's close to being done, there follows another two weeks of silence immediately afterwards. And then at the end of that, there is a revelation where everyone's like, oh, no, actually, this is the resolution followed by 2 weeks of silence but no apparently now this one right now this is now the resolution. So I will just temper this everything I'm going to say on this podcast anything we're going to talking anything we're going to talk about is done with a degree of well this has happened before but that being said there are more positive noises coming right now from sections where there have not been positive noises previously So if you were ever looking for a time to take the cans out of the garage and put them in the proper fridge, probably say cautiously now might be the time.
1: Well, you say this has been going on since January. I mean, as a Newcastle fan, the talk of a takeover has been going on for years, hasn't it? Have you sort of grown numb to it? This is the thing. I
2: went back and looked through all this. The first time Mike Ashley said he was going to sell Newcastle United was when they were first relegated under him about, 18 months, two years after he first came in, the end of that season where they had the whole fallout with Keegan walking away from the club then it transpiring that they had repeatedly lied in court and to the fan base about what was going on, how the club was structured. As soon as they went down, he just held his hands and went, well, I never said I'd be any good at running a football club. Don't worry, we're going to sell it immediately. Then, of course, he couldn't find anybody who was willing to buy this absolute skip fire for the money he wanted. <laughs> then they got back up. They enjoyed a degree of success immediately after that. Obviously, the new recruitment policies with the broke Graham car in and they built that side to finished fifth. That made it look like it was a more appealing proposition. People started giving Ashley credit for the way he structured the club because Newcastle was starting to achieve without... You know, spending ludicrous sums of money. I think they finished above Chelsea and Liverpool and Spurs that season. And then, um, and then of course, the classic thing happened where they were in a good position. There was a chance to build something, a chance to show some ambition. And after finishing fifth, like literally one game away from uh, the Champions League, their summer acquisition was Vernon and Anita. And that was it. Then they let Denver Bar go in January and Kabai was gone a few years later and started dismantling the squad, which inevitably, after the appointment with Steve McLaren, led to them going down again and there was more talk about selling. Basically, every time, the catastrophic mismanagement of this club by a man who has absolutely no idea what he's doing with it, every time that comes back to bite him, he claims that he is selling it. And then I think just finally a, a realistic... Investor, a realistic proposition for selling it finally came in in the shape of Amanda Stavely and PIF and the Rubin brothers. And now, one way or another, this is the end game for it all. This is even if, if somehow this doesn't materialize, he's now so far past the point of being able to run this club that it'll probably give it away if this fall, <laughs> if this somehow collapses. So, yes, I am completely numb to all this to answer the question you asked me 15 minutes ago. Um, Everything when it comes to this is I will believe it when I see it. Even with, even with transfers at this club, I don't, until they're standing outside the ground holding the shirt, it has not happened as far as I'm concerned. But again, this is the closest it has been. While it hasn't actually happened, this feels not the closest it has been to happening ever.
1: Yeah, I distinctly remember, I obviously moved up to Newcastle about three or so years ago and went from being you know, quite a casual fan who'd heard rumblings of it to hear talk of it a lot more regularly. And I remember that interview he gave with Sky Sports about a year ago or so towards the end of sort of last season. And I remember seeing that and foolishly thinking, oh, well, that's it then and sort of messaging you and chatting to you and you going, that doesn't mean anything. That's it. was yeah. been said a million times.
2: Mike Ashley using his mouth to speak is possibly the least of all of all the figures in football. Like your blatters in this, your anybody's. I don't think anybody has ever been so willing to just say something without any plans to back it up as Mike Ashley did it the, the day they um, the a time before we went down. The most recent time uh, when McLaren was about to be brought in. Um, They'd been relatively safe in the league, uh, lower mid, sort of upper mid table uh, when Pardew had been, when Crystal Palace had given us money to take Alan away, which still actually ranks as one of my favourite days as a Newcastle fan. (laughs) And instead of getting a manager in, they just went, oh, we'll just give it to the shouty man who sits who sits in the dugout with him and that'll be fine. And then they went, they slide down the table, not winning for something like 10 games to the point where they needed to win on the last day to guarantee they'd stay up. And that was, of course, the game that's remembered for Jonas Gutierrez coming back from cancer and scoring the goal that effectively saved the club. But Ashley uh, did an interview after that game where he said, this is never going to happen on my watch again we're going to invest in the club we're going to get this new manager in. we're going to restructure everything we're going to be pushing forward i am not leaving this club until we have won something or we've qualified for the champions league this is you have my solemn vow we're going to really change things going forward and 12 months later they were relegated like no plan in place his plan was to bring in mclaren of all people and chuck 80 or 90 million away on a load of absolutely hopeless players um So, Ashley saying he's going to sell the club or this, that, and the other has never carried any weight with Newcastle Like The man has been proven to have lied in court and to Parliament and because, you know, he's Mike Ashley doesn't seem to face any serious repercussions for this. So, him, this is the thing as well. I'm saying until they're standing outside the club with the shirt, I don't class this takeover as having happened. Like, Mike Ashley could physically show me his bank balance and go, look, there they are. They've sold it. And I still wouldn't believe it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, just to update you, though, a tweet coming out today from NUFC 360 on Twitter says, it's now claimed the Premier League are on the verge of giving the green light to the Saudi-led consortium after the Kingdom launched a new crackdown on TV piracy. Uh, Loads of other reports uh, about kind of the British government wanting to strengthen ties with Saudi Arabia and that kind of being a part of all this. Uh, We're not going to tell too deeply, obviously, into the ins and outs of that. That's a whole other issue. But what, what happens next for you, Cleary?
2: Well, just on that point about how there's been these big changes made or these proposed big changes made um, by the Saudis, which are going to enable the green light for this, I think a big misconception people have had about this takeover and certainly the process of how it works is that, you know, a consortium puts a bid together, that bid gets accepted, they go through all the due diligence stage to make sure that it's actually feasible, then they go, right, here is our takeover, they hand it to the Premier League and the Premier League look at it and go, hmm... Yes, or mm, no. So I think people are waiting for a decision to be made, like they have to evaluate the whole situation then just green light it or not, which I think has led to a lot of the confusion about why this is taking so long, because it's like, well, it only took them a week to do these other takeovers, or two weeks to do this takeover. Why is this one taking so long? And I think people don't realise it's an open dialogue. You know, they, they present this takeover. You know, we've got the money to do this. We've got an agreement with the selling club. We've done this, we've done that. And then the Premier League look at it and go, okay, well, either everything's fine and we can green light that or, well, we have concerns about this. Can you prove you can do that? Because we've seen lower down in the British football pyramid the, the fit and proper persons test. There's been some complete charlatans take over clubs further uh, down the divisions, not naming any names, a. Eh? So I think the Premier League are very keen to avoid situations like that because it damages the global brand of the Premier League. Like can you, if, if there was another Leeds United situation now, you know, it would be catastrophic for for the overall like the, the glow like the Premier League sells its broadcasts all over the world, which is where all this money comes from. And if there's you know these disasters going on all the time, it's not something they really want to be going to TV stations with or getting involved in the bidding rights, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Don't get me wrong, teams like your West Hams and your Everton, who spend a lot of money and don't go anywhere, or possibly in the case of West Ham, the season even go down. I mean, that's fair game. That's just mismanagement. Uh, like on a, on a footballing level, but they don't want people to come in and be exposed. So I think knowing that there could be some potential repercussions, certainly with the Saudis' involvement in a lot of this illegal streaming, things like that, um, is, it's something they're concerned about. So they've obviously been in a massive open dialogue with them, and if they're prepared to make changes in order to get this to go through, then, you know, good, good for them. Uh, this is... <laughs> It's going to be interesting to see precisely what concessions have been made and precisely how strongly the British government have lent on the Premier League because, you know, the the reservations a lot of people have about this takeover, certainly from corners of the press and from corners of the fan base who are kind of acutely aware of how this element of the Saudi government works and why they make these giant investments. You know, there's nobody in the Saudi royal family right now who thinks, oh, do you know what? Remember Shira? Oh, I should go, like, spend loads of money on that football club. This is being done you know, as part of a of a wider political program. And if the government want to encourage that, that's that's kind of other. I've completely forgot what you asked me, to be honest.
1: Well, what I wanted to ask you, actually, off the back of all this is you've mentioned let's say questionable takeovers. You know, you can think of 5, 10, 15 off the top of your head. On the of, one hand, are you kind of like, come on, Nick, for God's sake, get my Ashley out of my club. But also, on the other hand, <laughs> are you thinking, you know what, it's maybe probably best for this club that they go through the right processes? <sighs>
2: This uh, The thing is, it's very difficult for me, this. Uh, anybody's who's watched our wrestling channel knows I've done a lot of coverage on the Saudi General Sports Authority and how they've done business with WWE. And there is a suggestion that part of what they're doing in Ucassi United is going to be along sort of the same lines. It's going to be an element of sports washing. It's going to be there as a bit of a public relations tool for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and certainly the perceptions the rest of the Western world have about that. And... Don't get me wrong, like if they want to give us 200 million pounds every single transfer window and we can just do whatever we want with that as a Newcastle United fan, great. It's been absolutely turgid to watch this football club since Mike Ashley took over. The lack of ambition, the lack of spending power, the lack of just nouse on how to do anything. This is this huge positive to take from this, but at the same time, as much as I hate my football club effectively just being a giant global advert for a horrible tracksuit emporium. I don't want them to be, you know, a pleasant public face for a regime with terrible human rights abuses. So I'm I'm delighted. I couldn't possibly be happier that Mike Ashley's going to leave, but hard conversations are going to have to happen after that. And scrutiny is going to need to be applied. And it isn't just a case of one bad person is gone. Ergo, this is completely good because, there are, like, big questions, big, big questions about what this takeover is going to entail and what it's going to be used for. And just, it's open. like, this, this is the thing I just want to say about this, by the way, because as a Newcastle fan, you've read a,
0: you've,
2: you read a lot of guff about this. And there were certain corners of the press saying this is somehow Newcastle United fans' fault or their responsibility or they should be doing something about this. They have no say in this. At all, whatsoever. We didn't have a say when Ashley came in. We don't have a say in how Ashley runs the club. And despite our best efforts, we've never really changed his mind on anything. You know, he's run the club the way he wants to. And he's going to sell the club to who he wants to. And whoever comes in is going to run the club the way they want to. The scrutiny that should be applied to this is from the Premier League. And it's from the wider corners of the media. 99% of people who go to that stadium have absolutely no idea about geopolitical ramifications of this. They have no idea about the human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia. They just want a bit of escapism. They just want to go watch a football team that's actually going to try and win a game of football. And if these conversations need to be had, then they need to be done, you know, in a way that recognises the fact that the fans have absolutely no control or say in this whatsoever. It's not their responsibility to fix this.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter, Putting the moral issues to one side, if we can. Um, Yeah, we're
2: going to get Bobby, yeah!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, you know, as a Chesterfield fan, we're supposedly going through a takeover at the same time and we're sat there going, hey, maybe we'll actually get back to, you know, football, League One, League Two, back where we were. As a Newcastle fan, what do you think fans expect off the back if this takeover happens?
2: See, this is the thing. It's so... Of all the stuff you read as a Newcastle fan about, you know, oh, they just, hound up, oh, they just didn't like Ashley because you's not from around here. And stuff like Easily the biggest load of rubbish is that, you know, we expect to be winning things. Like, we never, we haven't, won, we haven't won anything since 1969. Like, there's not very few Newcastle fans were even alive the last time we won anything. Obviously, Scott Parker's triumph as captain leading us to the Intertoto Cup that time, notwithstanding. Um, Genuinely, it's the, the problem with Ashley has not been that he doesn't get us in the top four every season. It's not that he doesn't chuck away loads and loads of money. It's the constant lies, effectively, and the constant mismanagement, and the constant, like, just where he uses the club to parade his, his little band of charlatans and has absolutely no connection to the city or has no real interest in managing it as, a, as an element of the community. Genuinely, just, like... Just try. You know what I mean? Like there's all all these statements about Newcastle. I think it was, I can't remember who who it was. I think it was either Lambias or Chris Moore came out and said Newcastle United is going to be the best club it can be pound for pound. And just that one statement alone is just like, what? Well, why? Why should? Why should we? Why can't we aspire? To try and go do a little bit better every now and then, or really try and prioritize a cup run, or you know, maybe just invest in little things here and there. Like the training ground supposed to be an absolute joke in the Premier League. Just go and spend a little bit more b- b- money on stuff like that. And it's just there's a there's a very famous banner Newcastle United fans once took to a game which was in the middle of all this, which does conveniently get left out when these conversations crop up. And it was we do not expect a team that wins, but we do expect a team that tries. And I think that's like there's so there's so much goodwill between Newcastle United fans and this current side. Pretty much the team, uh, largely that Rafa Benitez was able to assemble, because it was full of players who tried, who like really gave it their all. Who you know you weren't walking away from games where you've been defeated, thinking, "Well, if they just pulled their finger out, they could have got something there." There was a genuine sense every time you walked away from that stadium of, "Well, that's a disappointing result," and there's questions about so and so, and he shouldn't be getting in the team, and all that, but. Can I fault them for effort? Not really. And the one of the biggest uh, plus points to see Bruce's time in charge is that that hasn't changed when he's come in. You can see that effort from him as well. And players still really do fight and they really do leave everything out there. And so just taking that, but combining it with like, maybe a little bit of ambition every now and then, maybe go and get in somebody because we'll think they'll do a good job for the team, not just because, you know, they're going to be inexpensive or might have high sell on value. Um Ultimately, I have absolutely no idea what to expect from all of this. We don't know what financial fair play is going to do. We don't know what the changes to the transfer market are going to be with everything that's going on in the world at the minute. I don't think anybody's getting carried away with anything. I don't think there's any aspirations whatsoever to be getting into the Champions League in the next couple of years. If you look at the money West Ham and Everton have spent and they haven't even looked like cracking the upper ends of the league. Um I think the best case for any club right now is you sort of look at a Tottenham model, like come in, change the philosophy of the side. You know, start developing things, get a couple of good transfers in there, but build a lot around the youth side and stuff and then see where you get with it. You know, maybe you produce a very exciting team, maybe just produce a difficult to beat one. Don't really know.
1: That's very sensible, and I do want to get on to the banter signings that could be coming Newcastle. Oh, can course. Uh, before we do that, though, uh, you mentioned Rafa Benitez and Steve Bruce there. I was watching Match of the Day 2 last night, and they were arguing about who should manage Newcastle next season if the takeover happens. They were making the case for Steve Bruce off the back of that excellent win over Sheffield United mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. Obviously, Rafa's name has been mentioned. Maurizio Pochettino uh, is another uh, name on people's lips. Who should manage, in your eyes at least, Newcastle United next season?
2: Just, I'm glad you brought a match of the day too there because um, I don't think I've ever heard a case of a man just saying something because he needs to be talking and not actually thinking about it more than Phil Neville. Saying, <laughs> "Like don't, This is the thing. I think Steve Bruce has done an excellent job. I think he's done a brilliant job in the circumstances. But Phil Neville was sitting there saying, I actually think they play a better football. I think they're a better side than, than they were when, when, when Rafa Benitez was there. Like, lowest goals scored in the league all season. Like, Steve Bruce deserves a lot of credit for Newcastle not being in a relegation fight this season. Mm-hmm. He does. But what's got glossed over is Newcastle weren't expected to be in a relegation fight this season. That question only came about when they appointed Steve Bruce. <laughs> um, the day he was announced as the new manager, their odds, I think they were, they were looking at finishing oh, something like... Between, I'd say, 12th and 14th this season was kind of roughly where everyone was expecting them to be. If you looked at like, the odds for finishing, that's kind of where they were. Then Rafa left, and they appointed Steve Bruce, and we immediately dropped into the bottom three. And then they allowed Perez to leave and didn't really replace him with anyone who looked like they were going to be a ready-made replacement. Obviously, Sam Maxman's done a great job coming in, but he wasn't expected to be replacing. And indeed, he hasn't the amount of goals Perez scored. And then, and then Rondon left, and they replaced him with this Brazilian lad who has absolutely... No record for this club, in this country, on this division, anything like that. And then they were immediately stalled as relegation favourites. So under those circumstances, Steve Bruce has done a fantastic job. But these are only circumstances that have come about literally because of his appointment and literally because of the way the club is being run. Now, I have to say, I watched all of Rafa Benitez's games as Newcastle United manager. And I have watched all of Steve Bruce's games as Newcastle United manager. And they're not better by any (laughs) stretch of the imagination. They... They try just as hard. They work just as hard. They don't score more goals. They're certainly not more exciting. Yes, we have, you know, Sam Maximanzi, who's a great player to watch, and Almiron's finally coming into the side the way he was envisaged to. So there is an exciting element of how they play together there. But we have to be realistic here. Newcastle United are safe from trouble this year because a lot of teams didn't finish them off You know, you go back to the Chelsea game, Chelsea should have absolutely wiped the floor when you castle and they stole a win in the last minute and Man City dropped their guard when they went 2-1 up very late on, We're able to snatch one back. We've been very fortunate with a lot of results and a lot of other teams around us have just, you know, they've absolutely, you know, (laughs) dropped their trousers this season. Like Norwich really struggled to build on their strong start, Aston Villa never quite got going. Um... Newcastle have been fortunate this season. They deserve huge credit. Steve Bruce deserves huge credit. But this idea that if a new owner's coming in and they've got ambitions of really pushing them up the league, that Steve Bruce is the man to do it, I I think that's, as it usually is, it's a case of the fact that Phil Neville knows Steve Bruce on a personal level. So he wants to say nice, supportive things about him because he's his mate, which is a a problem you get with a lot of um, punditry in this country. I asked for who could come in. This is the thing. I personally wouldn't want to sack Steve Bruce straight away. I don't think you'd be the manager to take them on, but I think you you would lay out expectations and you'd say, look, we really want to be going up the division this year. You know, we can't just be, you need to score a lot more goals. You need to sort of look at the players you want to bring in. And whether that means, you know, you give them a year. Fair enough. You want to move. This is the thing. If you wanted to move Steve Bruce out of the management, management position and keep him in the club, I think you'd probably be quite happy with that. Mm. Pochettino, I don't know. Pochettino would be a fantastic appointment, but I think it's a lot on Mauricio Pochettino to drop him in and be like, right, okay, so uh, relegation scraps or the championship for the last three seasons, four seasons, five seasons, actually. Uh, <laughs> Any chance of finishing sixth?
1: <laughs> I think, yeah, he spoke volumes on Match of the Day too that they were like, look, look how much better they are. Their win percentage has gone up by 1% and their yeah. points per game has gone up by 0.1 as well. And I thought... Yeah. Yeah, there's not much difference. I was lucky enough to go to a few Newcastle games. I went to Newcastle Burnley this season, which is sort of exemplary of um, how they've improved. And they sort of, you know, I, I I don't want to lessen it because they're on a cup run at the end of the day. Um, but it feels like they've sort of stumbled into that to a certain extent, um, as much as, you know, Newcastle fans have been crying out for a cup run uh, for some time. Now, I promise we will get on to the banter signings after one more question, uh, you mentioned many players there. Who do you think they should keep? Who should they use to sort of, rather than, you know, doing what I would do on Football Manager and just sacking everyone and signing 25 new players, who are the players they really need to retain and kind of build this team around for you?
2: The crazy thing is, and I've never been able to say this as a Newcastle United fan, right now I wouldn't say anybody who's anywhere near the first team is a priority to get rid of. Um Even John Joe Shelby, who's looked at times like his time here was finished, he'd offered all he could. He's even managed to... In fact, I would say Shelby's probably been the biggest success story uh, of Steve Bruce this season. He's managed to turn him around. He's managed to get him playing a bit more sensibly. Not everything is a Hollywood pass anymore. He tends to be far more positionally disciplined. Um, There's not a single person in that squad who I think, oh, you'd, you'd be desperate to replace him. I know a lot of fans would say you want a proven goal scorer in Joe Linton, but... Again, like the guy's so young. The guy is so young. I don't think he should be, you know, dropped in. He should never have been in the position he was to begin with. He shouldn't have been immediately parachuted in a front and expected to score the amount of goals Rondon was scoring because he's not as experienced. He doesn't know the league very well. He's still learning who he is as a footballer. So I wouldn't be desperate to get rid of him. You know, he could be a very good part of a larger squad. Almiron's been fantastic. St. Maximum's been fantastic. Isaac Hayden is possibly the most underrated footballer in Britain, Shelby's there, Richie can do a job. I think you've just got to basically look at it and go, not what areas do we desperately need to improve, but what areas would the market allow us to improve upon? Like, If there is a particularly good step up we can make in a particular position, we should be going for that and then asking the question of, well, who's there currently? Can they stay around? Can they do a job? Will they be satisfied with sitting around and doing a job, or should they be moving on? And I think in that regard, there's probably... You look at the players on the fringes of this ever so slightly. Now, Matt Ritchie's a fantastic player, but he already kind of has to be a bit more adaptable now that you know uh, Almiron and St. Max Mann are in the side. So would he be content spending the last couple of years of his career sitting on a bench? The defence has never been... You know, as strong as strong or as deep as I can ever remember at Newcastle United. Like you wouldn't want to lose Lascelles, but you wouldn't want to lose Fernandez either, despite his age. You wouldn't want to lose Cher. You wouldn't want to lose Lejeune. But if you could go get a better centre back, you're not going to have five or six of them sitting there at the same time. So again, I think Newcastle's um, ins and outs policy this summer should very much be dictated by the market. There shouldn't be looking to get rid of anybody, I would I would think particularly it just depends who, if anybody, they can bring in. Because as I said at the start of this, nobody knows what the market's going to be like this summit. It could be it could be nothing. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think you have got like the spine of a side and certain players that, you know, like if you can get, get Danny Rose, for example, you've got on loan, then potentially he could be something you know, it could be a sort of rediscovery of form for him. But Bollocks to all that. Let's have it out then, Adam Cleary. Uh, the names that I, I just Googled, uh, Newcastle United, so potential signings, basically. Mm. Uh, I mean, look at this list. Wilfred Zaha, Gareth Bale, Cavani, Iguain, Ross Barkley, Shaqiri, uh, uh Coutinho, Jesse Lingard, Donny van der Beek, Nabil Fakir, Barini, Nainggalan. The list goes on and on. I mean, you haven't even mentioned Neymar and Mbappe and bloody Ronaldo and Messi for that for that matter. Uh, who, well, what are the dream signings and well, what do you make of all this speculation? I'll just,
2: I'll just say before we start this, right, I'm old enough to remember when Newcastle used to spend money. Right. right. I'm old enough to remember when we used to spend money. So I remember when every single major European player was either lobbying for a new contract or was perhaps a bit unsell? We were one of the go-to names; agents would always use as, Oh, guess who's looking at him? Because this is this is such this is such a wider issue. But Newcastle are a provincial part of the United Kingdom. We are very far away from London. We are very far away from the hub of media. We are very far away from the hub of the press. And pretty much everything that's reported on us is by either regional reporters or our own local press now with all due respect to people who work in that you, they tend not to carry heavyweight credibility like amongst the elite football media because they're you know they're covering a provincial part of the game which means that if an agent can chuck a story to somebody at a major newspaper or at a global uh website and say only oh, Castle looking at them and they publish it comes very difficult to get any denials out about that. So it's always very good to have teams like that who you know there's never going to be much denial about it. You can just always be looking at it. So I think that probably creates a bit of an unfair level of expectation amongst Newcastle fans because we're always linked with these amazing players. Like Even though we've not got money to spend, we're linked with these amazing players. So if Newcastle actually do end up with quite a transfer kitty, I would imagine you can put every single footballer on the face of the earth on a list of people there going to be signing uh this summer, which is going to be an absolute nightmare, to be honest. But like I just I would love I would just love a player to sign for Newcastle because he was sold on what he could do here. You know what I mean? Not what he could do and then go somewhere else or not because this was going to be an important, you know, because his career was winding down and this was a good place for him to play. I would love him to be like, look, yeah, you could go to this bigger side, you could go this team, you could go that team, but this is what we're doing here. This is a project we'd like you to get involved in and then be in it for the long haul because it's been a long time since we've had a player uh, come in like that especially for for serious what matter what I want Mbappe just get Mbappe that seems really easy just go get Mbappe
1: yeah I think Mbappe is the name that is on everyone's lips but like you say there's, so there's some names in that list again it's it, like you say they're pl- playing on our thoughts about Newcastle United you see these some of these names and you go you know what Ross Barkley in a Newcastle shirt or, you know, other names like that. They're there's sort of not tip-top players, but the players who are you know, very talented and, like you say, could be hopefully convinced that they could build a team around, as potential.
2: Well, this is the thing, right? Newcastle are you know, in a good position at the minute where they're competitive and they're a big enough name in world football that they are still attractive to, to a lot of players. Like, don't get me wrong... I'm well aware of the argument, would a a footballer coming in from Milan or Paris or somewhere like that rather live in London or Newcastle? Of course, rather live in London. But Newcastle has enough, just about, I think, enough credibility from days gone by that it's still a relatively attractive proposition to players coming in. So the groundwork is there. The ground is fertile for doing something like this. It's just, as I say, like you literally cannot predict what the market's going to be this summer. I would fully expect the majority of transfers to be Bozeman's or free transfers or very like people very near the end of their contracts because we still don't even know when football is going to go back to normal like there are events in this country for September October November that are all being cancelled and we're still not really thinking about how we get football back and if you know the attendances are all gone and the actual ability for the Premier League to sell itself as a as a TV platform because like let's not make any mistake about this fans at premier league grounds are window dressing They're part of the package that the Premier League sells. Look at the atmosphere, the passion. It's part of the reason they managed to sell it for so much. And without them, we don't know how the finances of the game are going to alter. Like even down to the smaller level of some clubs literally can't survive without their gate money. So God knows what's going to happen. If there's talk of major transfer fees getting bandied about, I would be very, 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 very reluctant to get carried away with those.
1: Be very interesting to see where we go from here, though. We will, of course, keep you posted on any developments, but let us know your thoughts ahead of the Newcastle United takeover potentially finally happening in the comment section down below. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And subscribe to What Culture Football for daily football podcasts, of course. Uh, and you can let us know your thoughts on Twitter at What Culture FC. Watch there, follow both of us. You can follow Adam Cleary at. Adam Cleary, C-L-E-R-Y. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at what Culture FC. as I said. But for now, this has been It's All Kicking Off. The Newcastle United takeover could well be finally happening. My thanks, Adam Cleary. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen